Well, amen. It's been a powerful morning just gathering together to place our focus on the mandate from heaven. It's a mandate from heaven. It's a commission from our King. In our responsive reading in Psalm 67, we read of God's desire for the nations. What is His desire for the nations? That they praise Him. That they rejoice in Him. That they're glad. You hear me this morning? That is, that is God's desire for the nations. That's His desire for the nations. That they praise Him. That they are glad. And then Pastor Todd read Revelation chapter 7. 9 through 12. I'm going to read it again. <clears throat> My time's short this morning, <laughs> so we might as well fill it with the word. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Listen, listen to what John gives us through the power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God allowed John to see this. So we, we see in Psalm 67 that God's desire for the nations is that they be glad, that they rejoice, that they praise Him. And then in the end, we get a glimpse. Were the nations made glad? Did the nations praise Him? And praise be to God, they are. They're before Him. They're praising Him. They are glad. God did His work. Let the nations be glad and praise Him. Listen to what John said. He says, after this, I looked and behold, listen to what he says, a multitude that no one could number. Doesn't that grip you? No one can number them. And he says, he says a number that no one could no, a, a multitude and no one can number. He says from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language. And what are they doing? They're standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They're standing before Christ, the Lamb, the one who was slaughtered for them. They're standing before His throne. And I want you to see this. Clothed in white robes. With palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing before the throne and the throne around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. 
Man, isn't that a beautiful sight? That's a beautiful sight. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to God forever. You realize the nations gathering there is not because of them. It's because of God. It's because of the Lamb that the nations will be gathered. That the peoples will praise. That the nations will be glad. Amen? That's the truth. That's, as Francis Schaeffer said, that's true truth. That's sure. It's going to happen. But here's the thing I have for you this morning is we see God's desire in Psalm 67 that the nations be glad that the peoples rejoice. We see in Revelation chapter 7 the nations will be gathered. I want to talk to you this morning about what's in the middle there. How, how did this happen? What was the means that God used to gather nations? What is the means that God used that the nations would praise Him? What is the means that God used that people of different languages are gathered there? What did He use? What did He use to accomplish this? And in Romans, shockingly, we're in Romans this morning. In Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10, we're giving the answer. We're giving the answer to how God's going to gather the nations, how God is going to make the nations glad. We're giving the answer. In Romans 10, verse 13 through 17, listen to what Paul writes. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. But how are they to call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone doing what? Somebody's got to tell them. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, Paul quoting from Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach what? The good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And Paul writes this in verse 17, and we know this verse, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The words of Christ. The words of Christ. And so in this section of Romans, Paul's writing to the believers in Rome and he's talking about missions. He's talking about evangelism. Notice what he says in verse 18. If there's any doubt in your minds what he's referring to, look at verse 18. He says, Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of what? The world. And so Paul, as he's talking about in this section in Romans 10, 13 through 17, he's highlighting missions. He's highlighting evangelism. And what is to be the scope of our missions in evangelism? It's the world. It's the ends of the earth. It's to all people. 
all nations. So Paul's clear about his scope when he writes to the believers in Rome. And I want you to see in our text as we just dive into verse 13, as Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In verse 13, we see that one of the necessities in missions is calling upon the Lord. Calling upon the Lord. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Paul begins with the end of the process. The end of the process. He says, all those who call on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. And so to call on the name of the Lord, what is Paul referring to? What does he mean? He's talking about those who exercise faith in the Lord. They're calling on Him for something. And so this is necessary for salvation. It's necessary to call on the name of the Lord. Notice what else Paul says in this verse. Notice how he begins it. He says, for everyone, for everyone. Some translations may say anyone. Some of, your, some of your translations may say whoever. Paul says everyone, whoever, anyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. It's not discriminatory. It's not if you're a certain income or you're born here or there, then you can do it. It's not that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. It is anyone, anytime, anywhere that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not they might be or it's a possibility they will be. No, they will be saved. You ought to say hallelujah to that. Because that's true for us in here who are believers. Amen? Those of us who have called on the name of the Lord, right? Those of us who have called on the Lamb. But it's interesting when you think about what are they calling out for? What are they asking for? Well, they're obviously asking for rescue. They're asking for salvation. They're asking to be saved. They're asking. They're calling out, God, save me. God, rescue me. God, redeem me. They're calling out. We're going somewhere with this. They're calling out. And I want you to notice this. This is very important to what Paul writes here in verse 13. Not only does he talk about everyone, anyone, whoever would call out on the name of the Lord will be saved. But notice what he says. What, who are they calling out to? Which Lord? Who's, who's the Lord? Who's, who's the Lord Paul's talking about here in this verse? Well, in verse 9 of chapter 10, he makes it very clear who he's referring to. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And what are the people doing in verse 13? They're calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul's really clear about who the Lord is, right? 
It's not just any one. It's not just any mode, right? It's Jesus Christ. He's clear in verse 13. Who the Lord is they're calling upon. They're calling upon Jesus Christ because He is Lord. He's the Savior. He's the one. So Paul is very clear. He's very precise about who the Lord is. There's no doubt in his mind who the Lord is. He is referring to Jesus Christ, the crucified one, the one who was buried, the one who was raised on the third day, and the one who has now ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's who he's talking about. That's who he's referring to. And so salvation is in Jesus Christ. It's in Him. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.7, in Him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In Him we have redemption. Luke recorded in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says there's salvation in no one else. There's not salvation anywhere else. Do you hear me this morning? There's not salvation through Islam. There's not salvation through Buddhism or Hinduism or secularism or what other isms you want to throw out there. There's not salvation in that. There's only salvation in Jesus Christ. That's it. He, listen, listen this morning, He is the Savior of all who will call upon Him. <laughs> That's beautiful. He is the Savior of all who will call. It's just hard for me not to just get just burning excited about this. There's hope. What I'm trying to say to you this morning, there's hope for the nations. There's hope for your neighbor. There's hope for your family. There's hope for your friends. There's hope in your workplace. Why? Because Jesus is the Savior. The crucified one. The one who was buried. The one who was raised from the dead. And the one who ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is the Savior of all. Notice what Paul says in verse 12 of the same chapter. He says, for there's no distinction. Listen to this. This is important this morning. Hear me this morning. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of what? The Savior is Savior of who? Oh. doesn't matter what background you are or what race you come from or what language you speak. You hearing me this morning? He's the Savior. He's the Savior. And the beautiful thing is, we know the end. He's going to gather every nation, every time. Amen? He's going to do it. And so this morning, we realize that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not found in a church, it's not found in a denomination. It's, hear me this morning. It's not found in your moralism. 
It's not found in your efforts to try to please God. It's not there. You hear me this morning? It's not there. If that is your efforts, you will go to hell. You understand this morning? There's only salvation in Jesus Christ. Only in Him. That's the only way. It is the only way that the peoples can rejoice. It's the only way the nations can be glad. It's to be saved. To be found by the shepherd. Amen? It's the only way. I remember years ago, I was in um, Syria, traveling around that country, uh, doing research for the IMB on a certain people group that no one knew anything about. And we were traveling with our taxi driver, cab driver, whatever. We had kind of a SUV kind of deal. And uh, this, this guy was a very interesting guy. Had many times we wanted to discuss salvation with him. It just kept not happening during our times together. And finally, one day, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're actually out in the woods uh, eating at a restaurant. That's what we were told. We go out into the woods, and it's a tent, some chickens, some potatoes, and a guy out there cooking with a little makeshift table uh, that we sat at. And I got to sit next to the taxi driver that we had for the whole time we were there, nearly a month we were there. And I began sharing with him this hope that I'm talking about this morning, this Jesus Christ, this crucified one. And I remember getting to a point in our conversation with him about him being the only Savior. He's the only way. We were getting into that kind of dialogue and this man looked at me, he turned, and with fierceness in his eyes and voice, he says, you understand, this is before I ever got it out of my mouth, he says, you understand in this country, we'll kill you for that. Didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear about this Jesus and that salvation's only in Him. It's only in Him. It's not anywhere else. And so when we think about salvation, this is, this is all ground zero of missions and evangelism. Because what is our desire in preaching and going out and sharing? What is our desire? Our desire is exactly Psalm 67. Let the peoples praise you, God. In other words, what do we want? We want them to be saved. We, we want them to be redeemed. We, we want them to be rescued. Amen? That's, that's what we want. When we, when we go out, we want to see them saved. We want to see them believe. We want to see them. We want to hear them call out to the Savior. Save me, God. That's what we should want. And so Paul begins with the end of the process. You know, I've got five minutes and I'm not even started yet. <laughs> you know, so he begins with the end process. And then he lists off several rhetorical questions in verses 14 uh, through 15. He lists off rhetorical questions. Because here's, here's the deal, and this is Paul's rationale as he's working this out, as he's writing this letter, is that something has to precede people calling out on the name of the Lord. Something has to precede that, right? Something has to precede that. People just don't randomly call out, right? They have to know something. They have to be told something. 
to know that Jesus is a Savior, right? And they have to be told that. And so as Paul's writing these rhetorical questions, listen to what he says. He said, but how are they to call on him in whom they've, never, they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to preach without, or how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? There's rhetorical questions. Do you notice Paul's answers in there? You see Paul's answers to those questions? If you do, you're reading some other scripture. He doesn't answer. He doesn't answer those questions. Because here's the thing, folks. They are so blatantly obvious, they don't demand an answer. The answer's obvious. The answer is the church in Rome who's writing to. How, how are they going to believe? Well, somebody's got to go tell them, right? And, and this believe that he's talking about in verse 14 is they've got to be given information. They, they've got to be given something. They've got to be shared with what this hope is, what this gospel is. They've got to know that, right? In order to call out on a Savior, you've got to know there is a Savior. And so Paul's saying it's got to be given. And this, this kind of debunks the whole idea of going around with my, through my life, I'm going to lead people to Jesus Christ. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. He's not saying it's through your lifestyle. He's saying it's through the words you say. It's through the things you speak to people that God's going to do his work. Does that make sense? And so these rhetorical questions, Paul, they're just clear in his mind. That's why he didn't give an answer. Rome, you're the answer. How are they going to hear? Rome, you go. How are they going to believe? Rome, you go. Y'all, this is really difficult, I know. Are you tracking with me this morning? This is not hard, is it? It's scary, but it's not hard. This is the means God's given to bless the nations. You understand that this morning? That is the means God has given to bless the nations. Through going and telling of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this. Listen to what Paul writes here. He says, but how are they to call on him in whom they've not believed? Now here's the answer. Here's the answer. They won't. They won't do it. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? They won't. You hear me this morning? That really is the answer. They won't do it. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They won't. I was talking to someone this week, and you know, we were talking about this verse, and I can't remember who he said, said it. He said there was a time someone introduced this passage and they said, you know, this whole issue of the man on the island and hear, not hearing the gospel, what does God do with him? You know, when you put this in its context, we don't have to worry about that man on the island. We don't have to worry about the ones who aren't hearing, do we? You get what I'm saying? We don't worry about it. Why? Because we're going. We're telling. We're sharing. It's not a concern. If the means by which God is going to bless the nations is taking place, right? Does that make sense to you this morning? And so this just kind of underlines 
the necessity of missions. When you think about in our world today, the IMB records that there are some 7,092 unreached people groups. That's those with less than 2% Christians that are around them. Listen to how many people that accounts for. It's mind-blowing. It's 4 billion, 483 million, 773,325 that are estimated to be unreached. That's heavy. And, and I say to you again, how are they going to call on Him? They won't. How are they to believe in whom they've never heard? They won't. How are they to hear without someone preaching? They, they won't. Do you hear me this morning? They won't. They won't hear. They won't believe. We must go. We must go. And so if someone is going to hear Christ, someone must preach Christ. No one will be saved until they hear that. You hear me this morning? No one will be saved until they hear of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing is, in John chapter 10, 1 through 4, Jesus makes it very clear my sheep will hear my voice. And guess what's going to happen? They will come to me. They've got to hear his voice. How will they hear his voice? Verse 17 So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the words of Christ. Guess what, church? We take the words of Christ. We take the words of Christ to our neighbors. We take the words of Christ to our friends. We take the word of Christ to our family. We take the word of Christ to the ends of the earth. Do you realize that is our commission? That's what we've been asked to do by our risen Savior. I guess I'll end here. I just want us to think about this. Because I think this all begs the question. The question... Why do we not see ourselves as the answer to Paul's questions? Why do we not? I'm going to end right here. I had a lot more. If you want more, I'll, we'll talk later. Why do we not see ourselves as the answer to these rhetorical questions? I just want to give you a few things. You may want to write it down so you don't forget it. First thing, this burned in my heart on the way to church this week one morning. Just thinking about this text. And this is what burned in my heart is, you know, thinking about why, God, am I not seeing myself as the answer to these rhetorical questions? Here's what came to mind. As believers, we're not gripped by certain spiritual realities. We're not gripped by certain spiritual realities. And here's what I mean by that. We're not gripped by the lostness of man. We're not gripped by that people really are dead in their sins. We're not gripped by that they really are transgressors. We're not gripped by that they really are enemies of God. We're not gripped by that they really are under condemnation right now. We're not gripped by it. 
Here's another thing that we're not gripped by. We're, we have mentally removed the reality that God is a God of wrath. We've removed it. Folks, I mean, if we believe God is a God of wrath and we believe they really are enemies of God and they really are under the condemnation of God, then my goodness, why are we not telling them? And here's what I would say in that same section there. Is we're just not gripped by the reality that God will one day judge. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed once that man should die and then comes judgment. It's going to happen, folks. It's sure. It's going to take place. So we're just not, we're just not gripped by certain spiritual realities. We're just not. Here's another thing. We're consumed with our own lives and what we want. We're, we're consumed with our own lives and what we want. Amen? That's, that's us. It really is. If that were not true, we would not be taking numbers like 7,000 unreached people groups. Billions that are unreached. Right? We wouldn't be talking about it. We're comfortable. We're, we're comfortable in our lives. We're comfortable in our work. We're comfortable in our pleasure. But I want to say this to you this morning. I know I'm going over. We have lunch afterwards, so if just hang with me. <laughs> Join us for the luncheon. Here's the reality of our comfort. God has a way of taking us out of our comfort. You know that? Look at the book of Acts. What Jesus said to his disciples as he departs, when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where else? To the ends of the earth. And guess what we find the church doing? Man, it's great in Jerusalem. What do you mean about going to the ends of the earth? It's great here. It's comfortable here. We've got our lives here. And then comes Acts chapter 8. You know what happens in Acts chapter 8? Stephen's killed. He's martyred. Persecution breaks out. Huh? And guess what happens to the church that was so comfortable? That had such ease of living there in Jerusalem. Guess what happened? Man, they are thrown out into all the earth, aren't they? God has a way. To move people. He has a way to break us of our comfort. We're comfortable. Here's another thing I would say to you. We just leave this to the professionals. I've heard that. I've heard it so many times. I expect you to go, preacher. What are you talking about? Jesus expects you to go. You hear me? The, the commission that was given was to give to all. As God raises up His people, what are they to do? They're to go. They're to go. In many ways, missions is kind of out of sight, out of mind. We don't think about missions because it's out there. It's out there. And folks, we are so tied to our schedules, aren't we? There's no room in our schedules for this. Schedules are oriented all around our lives. 
cross. But not for this. Man, we need a paradigm shift, don't we? We need a change. We need an awakening of God by His Spirit. In this church and other churches, because unless people are sent, there's nobody calling out. You hear me this morning? There's nobody calling out. Notice what Paul says. He says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The feet. The feet. When we think of feet, we don't necessarily think of that as being something beautiful. <laughs> we don't. But Paul says, Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And I want you to hear this this morning. Feet is what carries the gospel. Acts 1.8, Go. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. Feet carry the gospel. Feet carry the gospel. So I want you to think about this this morning as we end. Young people, as you step on your campuses, guess what you're to do? You're to carry the gospel. Your feet are to be moving with the gospel on your campuses. When you walk across the street to talk with your neighbor, guess what you're to do? Carry the gospel. As you enter your places of work, guess what you're to do? You're to carry the gospel. As you walk around the streets of Sherbrooke, Quebec, or Frankfurt, Germany, or Columbus, Ohio, guess what you're to be doing? Carry the gospel. And guess what? When they hear the good news, and they call upon the Savior to be rescued, guess how they view your feet? They view your feet as beautiful. I'm thankful in my own life, my own personal life, there were people bold enough to walk my way and to carry the gospel. In fact, one of them is here with us this morning, my grandmother. 87 years old, still faithful to the Lord. She carried the gospel to me when I desperately needed it. I would not be here today if it was not through God's work in her life and my life. Church, hear me this morning. They won't believe. If they don't hear, they won't respond. You hear me this morning? We must go. And this is not just the world. As the music, musicians come and they lead us in our final song, it's not just to the world. It's to your neighbor, it's to your friends, it's to your family, it's to everyone. Paul, as he wrote this to the church at Rome, he saw the believers in Rome as being the answer to this. And folks, for us in the 21st century, we are the answer to it now. See, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that workers would be sent out. It's never a harvest problem. The harvest is not the problem. The workers are the problem. It was true in Jesus' day. How much more true is it in our day now? 
Where are the workers? Where are the feet? Where are the ones who are burdened for those who are perishing? Where are those whose desire is, God, I want to see the nations be glad? Where are you? Where are you? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, thank you for our time in your word. And Father, I just pray even now, God, that you would raise up people in our body that would go, that would give themselves away, that they would realize, Lord, that there is, in the end, there's nothing else that matters but what is done for Christ. And so, Father, let that be our burden, that, Lord, we see that what is done for Christ will last. And so, Father, use this body, use this church, Grace Baptist, to bless the nations. That the nations would rejoice as we have more partnerships in the future, as we gather around our partners. Lord, one of the greatest ways we can bless the nations is through our partners. Through our partnerships in Columbus, through our partnerships in Quebec, and Frankfurt, Germany, and Lord, wherever else you would lead us. And so God, do a work this morning. And Father, I pray for those this morning, maybe here that don't even know you, have no idea what in the world are you talking about going. I don't even know what that is. Father, I pray by your Spirit that you would just convict hearts this morning. That you draw people to yourself. That Lord, even today, Lord, in our worship service, there'd be people who just cry out, Lord, save me. Rescue me. I need you, Lord. And Father, for the believers who are gathered in here, Lord, burden our hearts to go to our neighbor, to our friends, to our family, to the ends of the earth as you supply strength. We ask in Jesus' name.